You're fed up with the nine to five. You've been working hard for years and you're just not seeing the results you want. You want to break free from the traditional career, but don't know how. Business Breaks is here to help. So welcome everybody to our latest episode of the Business Breaks podcast, where we discuss trends and strategies for maximizing team productivity. I'm Dante Healy, and I'm joined by my co-host, John Byrne. We'll be discussing the different technique strategies that managers can use to boost team productivity. In this, we'll be sharing our insights on how to create a productive and efficient team. So grab your coffee and join us as we explore this topic of maximizing team productivity. So John, to start the discussion, can you share with us what you believe are the most important elements to consider when trying to maximize team productivity? To be honest, I think it's at the very beginning. It's it's getting the right team in place. If the team is wrong, there will be no productivity. You'll be fighting, losing battles all the time. So you have to get the right people in the, in the right positions on the team. And, and the right people don't necessarily have to be the absolute best people. Good people, we're a good manager. You know, it's, it's the old adage, it's the, the total exceeds the sum of the parts. And, and that's a good team. That's a productive team when the total exceeds the sum of the parts. You know, there don't need, it, it doesn't need to be a team full of superstars uh, that, that can often get in the way. You know, that, that can often be a bad thing. It's, it's a team, but, but everybody needs to be competent, know their role, be good, not great as such, but be good in the role that they have. And then all brought together as a team working together where the total will exceed the sum of the parts. And that to me is the, is the ideal situation with a good manager of the team, regardless of whether that team is a project team just brought together for a project or whether that team is the business as usual team that's going to be constantly and on, on ongoing doing the, the work to get a, a successful and productive team is, is get the right people in the, in the in the positions. Yeah, that's so true. And it's not always having someone who's fully qualified. Sometimes you need that blend of experience levels because you want some people who are able to grow into the role as much as people who are willing to hit the ground running, even on a project. It's funny, actually, that I think if managers were more savvy, they'd be able to get undervalued talents uh, purely because when you get people who optimize their CVs and optimize their interviewing technique, you, you don't really test for their capability to do a job. Basically, what you're, what you're almost selecting on the basis of is their ability to market themselves. So there's always this risk you can get someone who's overvalued but who doesn't perform. And then in terms of the mix of talents, it's it's actually funny. Trying to fill a team full of superstars is actually, in a lot of cases, counterproductive because they may have the same set of skills and they may be competing with each other for the same types of tasks, roles, and jobs. And, you know, in organizations, there was that film called Moneyball, which was starring Brad Pitt, who played a character called Billy Bean. and it showed it, it was an interesting movie i don't know if you've seen it it was based on baseball and it was basically looking a team that actually competed quite highly in baseball but not through having a high budget and hiring superstars they instead looked for undervalued talent and made strategic decisions about the positions they needed and looking for people who could actually 
perform by breaking them down into into maths equations. So I think in the corporate world, that may have similar connotations if you're looking for people who are there to do a very technical job, maybe, but also be able to work together. So have enough interpersonal skills, have enough communication and have the right attitude in order to progress those key objectives. And I, I think as well, one, one of the key positions is the manager of the team. If you have a bunch of good people doing the roles that they're good at, but to get them together and to get them, you know, the, the total to exceed the sum of the parts, it, it is down to the manager. And I think that's, in my experiences, that's where, I don't mean personal experience, I mean, from what I've seen in, in other things, uh, you know, I'm not criticizing managers that I've had or that some of them have been very, very good, you know, but in general, where I see weaknesses are with the managers and, and the large part of that is because frequently, you know, I'm sure you've seen it yourself and, and the listeners have probably seen a manager ultimately gets promoted from being very good technically and they get promoted up to being the manager of, of people, but they're not given any kind of training or m- mentoring in how to manage. And that's a very different, it's a very different role. It's a very different mindset. You know, it's, um, you know, if, if you're the uh, chief, the best widget maker in the world and you know, there's one of two places that often that type of person will get promoted to. One is they'll be promoted over all the other widget makers, but their expertise is is in actually making is the technical side of things. So then what they start doing is is micromanaging. They start interfering with the people that report to them and how they're doing the, the role. Yeah, yeah. And that that breeds, you know, you know, frustration and and, um, and that with the team. Or the other role that they'll often get is they'll be they'll be moved over and put as head of the widget design team because they've been using them so they you know they, they have that little practical expertise to go with the design. But then the issue is well they've no experience with design. Not only do they not have no experience with managing, they've no experience with design. And what I've seen in situations like that when somebody kind of gets promoted up to a a tangential management role is they frequently and I have come across this in in, in some instances they will in order to give the semblance of being in control they will start trying to hog an awful lot of stuff that they really shouldn't be doing and they become a bottleneck they don't really know what they're doing so they're afraid to let the the experts do their jobs they start pulling a lot of the stuff in so that they can keep it you know it gives them that semblance of control but it's fake it's not real they don't really have control because they don't know enough about it and they've just then frustrated the whole team and thrown everything off because they're they're a bottleneck now. They and they're the biggest two biggest challenges, two biggest weaknesses I've seen with teams when they have the right people in place. It's the manager, and and the answer to that is, in my opinion, is you train the manager when you promote somebody to be a manager. You should make sure they have training in how to manage people. And if you're the person who got promoted and your your bosses, your company has not given you that training, then request it. Because, um, you know, some people are just natural managers. So when they get promoted into it, they're very good without training. But most people, most of us aren't. We'll, you know, either get training at the beginning or you will have to learn through experience. But that learning curve can cause a lot of friction. (laughs) So it would be better to get some kind of mentoring or or training or or, or that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sorry to interrupt you, John. But when when you're managing, you know what really frustrates me is every time I see a post about leadership versus management and it paints management as bad 
And that's why I've kind of gone off agile because of the way some of the purest paint managers as being the root of all evil, because they think, oh no, leaders fix things and managers make people upset, demoralized, etc. because they're probably, as you say, it's the bad managers that get a bad rap, give the rest of us managers a bad rap, especially product project management. I mean, a huge part of it is communication and being able to problem solve and support the team. It has that leader, servant leadership type of model where you can be someone who actually unblocks things, helps people problem solve when they're stuck and just generally keep an orderly ship. But unfortunately, in some organizations, they don't reward people who are not making noises. So it's almost like you have to create a disaster in order to fix it and then be remembered, be recognized for having identified and resolved some issue. Whereas the managers who are doing their job and actually probably proactively preventing things from happening, they tend to be working quietly in the background with very little visibility, rightly or wrongly. And I guess in terms of teams, there's there's the importance of team cohesion. But does that go to us? Does that go to a point where where it's not as effective because if you're running, say, an efficient ship, do you get to the point where you do fall into some form of, shall we say, what's the word I'm looking for? Stability. Like it becomes too comfortable and you're almost complacent. So you become, you you create a, a legacy, you create a structure that is just built on status quo. It has worked for yesterday's competitive environment but it doesn't prepare you for tomorrow or even the early murmurings of today does that make sense yeah although i just just wanted to go back to something that you mentioned at the beginning the the, the difference the leader and, and manager and you know leaders fix things uh, and, and managers and i and and i think that's a bad thing if a leader is fixing things you know a, a leader should lead but neither a manager nor a leader should be fixing things mm. the experts that you've got on your team they're the ones who fix things and the manager just helps manage them to work together to make sure that the right things are being fixed and if a leader is fixing things then there's problems with the team because it shouldn't require the leader to take that kind of charge a leader doesn't necessarily have to be a manager a leader might be on the team he might be the superstar on the team who who yes he will fix things but he's not fixing them on his own or she's not fixing them on her own They're, they're bringing the team with them and helping raise the bar that the team is then going up but the manager needs to be there to make sure it's productive. Yeah. You know yourself from from certain. I, I, I know you have many examples that, uh, of, of situations where you know politics comes in and people try to make themselves look good by undermining their teammates. Yeah, that's up to the manager to make sure to, to stamp that out. How a manager wants competition within a team is that somebody has done their job that really well that the other people then feel they have to raise the bar on their jobs and the whole team then rises up as you know standards rise up for the whole team together working together the internal competition is good competition they're not trying to undermine each other they just see somebody do a really good job and think right now i have to raise my level up to that and and that's the the manager does that because even the leaders on the team that the manager may not be the leader on a team the manager does not have to be the leader on the team the manager has to be the manager of the team and and good manager and that's where i I was kind of trying to get to earlier that the, the difference between management and 
what got you to be a manager. You know, it's very few people that are just managers. They were yeah. something else first and they were really good at it and then became a manager. And there's a very different mindset there that, you know, they, they probably think being the manager, now I'm the leader. Now I have to fix things and show the rest of the team how to fix things. And well, no, the rest of the people on your team should be good enough to do that job themselves. You need to manage them and, and manage the competition on the team to, to bring the best out of everybody and let them solve the problems. Yeah, many years ago when I first got promoted into management, I was very very nervous because I didn't think I was up to it. I mean, I was promoted on the basis of my performance as a technical specialist, but I hadn't hadn't the confidence. Actually, the other thing was I was I was going I was ending up having to lead my peers and and be responsible for them. And these were people who were my colleagues. We were at the same level. So that felt a bit weird. I spoke to a friend of mine at the time who I trusted. And he said, the only thing you need really is empathy. And you got bags of that. And actually, the majority of the issues you have to have to solve for as a manager is the people issues. There's always friction between different personality types, people who want certain tasks, especially when you're distributing the work and trying to get people to move in the same direction but also thinking about the development of the team thinking about meeting their needs in the best way possible so the needs of balancing the needs of the individual versus the needs of the collective to try and not just achieve short-term goals but also think about long-term continuity as well and some of that also involves really structuring your organization whilst allowing some degree of flexibility to do things that will make your team's life easier. So things like procedures, they're all boring jobs, but we have to do them or at least plan for them occasionally. Once a year, we'd review our processes. I'll go through it and sign them off. And yeah, housekeeping. Housekeeping was always important. You didn't want stacks of paperwork piling up in the office. And you didn't want to see a mess in your office either. <laughs> and I think as well, you kind of mentioned the, the manager trying to sort friction between the team. But also, as you mentioned there, your complacency, the manager needs to sort out complacency that there might not be friction. The team might get on really well together, yeah. but they become complacent and they're not, they're not competing with each other to raise the bar, you know, that they're, they're, they're just settled. And the manager then needs to try and figure out how to introduce some friendly competition. You don't want the, you know, the, the, the death of the team is when you introduce um, people trying to undermine each other to make themselves look good. But what you want to do is get people to try and to try that little bit harder to make themselves look good. And then everybody else will, will raise their bar that little bit more and help each other. Um, that's the other thing as well. If they help each other to look good, then you've got a brilliant team. And that's on the manager usually, you know, you, you will get exceptions where the team just are all friends, really trying to help each other and, and doing that. And the manager just needs to stay out of it. But oftentimes, you know, a team is are strangers, you know, outside of work, they aren't together, which means while they can be very good, they're, they don't have the same motivation to help each other. And that's the manager needs to try and promote that, encourage that and reward that. Yeah. And there's another thing about rewards. If, you, if you're not responsible for the compensation and have no discretion on how you distribute, say, pay rises and bonuses, because all that's done centrally through HR and or a you know, HR committee built up of you and your peers, then it gets into those toxic politics again. So you have the collaboration, the strategic alliances. And I had to play that game as well because you know, it was a question of give and take. 
I'll support you on this candidate or this proposal. You back me up on that. And some of those had to be discussed outside of the meetings. That's the reality, that if you wanted things done, you had to prepare and you had to plan in advance. So if you knew people were susceptible to your suggestions, you needed to make sure you were buttering them up over a period of months, even years, in order to get them to back you when you needed those favors in order to promote your own talents within an organization where resources are constrained. And you definitely need to have those supporters and alliances when you go into a meeting. Otherwise, it's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. The collective will jump on you if you're not prepared. So in some cases, there were times where I'd test the waters in terms of promoting a candidate. If they didn't feel confident, I couldn't do it. So you have to also manage expectations. If a team member is ambitious and they're hardworking, if they haven't been investing in their internal reputation and also those relationships, then it's a harder job for you as a manager to secure the rewards, shall we say, and the resources to keep them motivated, at least in terms of compensation. There are other things you can do to motivate them, such as give them opportunities. But there are certain things you have to realize what's within your discretion and what isn't in terms of rewards. How can they help you? And same with me. I had to help my manager or leader in terms of making it easier for them to promote me as a person. And sometimes if you don't play the politics game, what I've found is it becomes harder to get things done. Although the key thing, I think, in playing the politics game is you need to try and do well for yourself, promote yourself, celebrate your, your achievements and that, but mm. not trying to undermine other people. If you reach the stage of politics where in order to make yourself look good, you have to undermine a teammate or a colleague or whatever, then I would suggest you need to leave the company and go somewhere else because you're no longer good enough there. You, you can't, you know, if that's what you're having to do in order to make yourself look good is to make other people look bad. You, you can't compete then. You're, you're just getting a, it, it, it's Somebody will be able to make you look worse than you can make them look and that's not a good way to be. So, you know, always be trying to, uh, if you're getting involved in politics, just work on making yourself look good. Don't try to make anyone else look bad. And that can mean making other people look good as well. So if you're, if you're a part of a team, you make the team look good. You don't just make yourself look good. You make the whole team look good. And, you, you know, that you, you will be kind of, you will be noticed. If, if your team is doing well, you will be noticed. Even if you don't stand out from the team, everybody on that team will be noticed including you. And then if you want to take an opportunity, they say, oh, well, he's on that or she's on that um, very successful team. And as a key member of that team, let's give them the opportunity. True. And in fairness, a lot of those people who are toxic usually get managed out one yeah. way or another, or else they find that their team members can no longer tolerate them. So they avoid them. So they get less support when it's needed. So it's about playing the long game in terms of those relationships. You don't want to build yourself a reputation for throwing people under the bus or stabbing them in the back because it becomes harder to get things done through people. Unless you make it to the top, you're promoted. And then it's just coercion, right? And authority. Mm. Every time you need something, you have to threaten with a stick, which I imagine can get tiring over time. Yeah. And the thing is as well, most, even the biggest industries and in that, there still be it's a relatively small world. You know, you can pick whatever you think is the biggest industry worldwide. But the fact is, you're not going worldwide. You're going to be in a certain area 
And we're in that area. It's still a small industry, which means if you create a reputation for yourself as being toxic, that reputation will leave the the, the company or in and will go to will will reach out to other companies. They'll know about you. And when you come looking for a job for a great opportunity somewhere else later on, you know their their the reputation will be there and they they'll know about it if they do any kind of research. Because most industries are small, certainly at a local level, and most people will be going at a local level. It's it's unusual for you as in whatever position you are to then go for in the same industry on the other side of the world it will be somewhere in your current region even if you're willing to move you're not willing to you're not moving thousands of miles away you're moving you know maybe 100 200 miles away max and you know, so people will know about it so it'll backfire you might get short-term gain initially but eventually it will become obvious to everybody you're the toxic person so so i, I wouldn't recommend that as a team to make yourself look good at the expense of other people make yourself look good by helping the other people because even though you're benefiting them you are getting the benefit if you're you know they are praising you you know behind your back and it's better to have people praising you behind your back than criticizing you behind your back true you don't want to bust your reputation because the world is too small ultimately and those toxic people are probably struggling and stuck where they are so they have to keep fighting the good fight or the bad fight depending on how you call it but yeah i think probably we should move on from toxicity towards what really moves the needle when you're talking about teams now we've talked about cohesion we've talked about the mindset of a manager who can effectively marshal the resources in order to achieve those outputs. Is there something to be said for measurement? So you you manage what you measure, right? So what type of KPIs or even OKRs, shall we say, should managers apply in order to make sure they understand, are my team performing? I, th- I think a lot of you know we, I, what I do as a consultant, one of the elements of it is our KPIs. And one of the key things we tend to suggest with KPIs are that they're not, well, with some exceptions, they're, they're not really done on an individual basis, that they are done on a team basis for the very reason that if you do it on an individual basis, individuals will just care about their eight KPI and will not help the rest of the team. Whereas if you do it on a team basis, everybody is rolling in together and helping each other because it's to raise the team KPIs. So that would be whatever KPIs you choose. A lot would depend on what the team does, what the industry is and all that, but do them at a team level rather than an individual level. Now, if you're the manager of that team, you will probably be keeping an eye on individuals, how they're helping contribute to the overall team KPIs. But um, the key thing would be not to, you know, certainly at the company level, not to allow the company to be measuring individual KPIs, make them measure team KPIs to get your team working together to raise the whole team's KPI. That would be a, a big thing because that's that's where you get dangerous things. I mean, the, the classic example being 3M, when they introduced, the, like they, they were one of the most creative companies in the world with some of the stuff they came yeah. up with. And then they introduced the KPI where they had to, the, the people had to hit a certain amount of patents every year. Mm. The quality dropped off the board and everybody hit the KPI, but they were just patenting. Yeah, it was just volume, not quality. Yeah. And that's exactly. the problem. Whenever you do some form of transformation or real, I mean, tangible quality improvement, process improvement or cost reduction effort, it tends to normally 
all tie back to improving quality and therefore avoiding rework. I mean, that's where you get efficient, truly efficient without having to just paper over the cracks, cut a few heads, and then the following few months or six months down the line, you end up having to invest because things have gone backwards instead of forward because it wasn't a real efficiency so that makes sense it was just just window dressing <laughs> that's a, the, the classic uh, thing get it right first time yeah and you don't have to worry about you know dealing with dissatisfied clients or customers whether they're internal or external to the company and you don't have to waste time doing the same thing again to get it right you know it, it, that can be aspirational depending on the thing sometimes it's not possible to get things right first time but that's what you should be aspiring to correct your processes fix your processes so that Kazan, you know makes small improvements constantly but your goal is get it right first time unless you're in a disruptive environment and therefore there is no normal you will never get stability because everything's changing all the time i think the way you can apply a kaizen is if the process doesn't change for a period of time and then you have the time to improve it if the processes and the strategic goals are always changing then you have problems or at least problems in terms of locking in efficiency because you've got nothing to lock to mm-hmm. and that's another issue where we can go up the up the ladder to leadership what are the priorities if you start changing things all the time mishmashing everything up and then trying to leave your mark say for example the guy at the top has moved on for whatever reason and then they're replaced the new guy decides hang on a minute i want to i want to leave my mark so i think this is the right way to do it so everything wholesale changes and you've already gone halfway through a project or some sort of initiative and then suddenly that scrapped we all need to do something completely different that can get chaotic as well and that will certainly impact team productivity so i guess we have to be careful in terms of what are we optimizing for are we optimizing for change or are we optimizing for stability in terms of change you're investing in a different set of capabilities and talents and and skills versus having someone who's probably i guess it's the comparison between agile versus taylorism and scientific management where taylorism is like the ford production line nothing changes everyone has a very small part of the overall process but they they specialize in that whereas with agility it's about having a team that has a broad set of skills and a specialization ideally a specialization in one area where they can they know enough to collaborate and deal with that uncertainty such as a new pro- problem or challenge a lot with that will also you know obviously i, I coming back from my my kind of consultancy i deal with more small medium-sized companies you know we walk off the, the stages of growth methodology and, and a lot of that as well depends on your stage of growth so like a stage one company one to ten employees mm. chaos is, is basically it is what it is and and you know one of the things you just have to embrace the chaos there's no point yeah. in trying to set out big procedures and policies and that at, at that type of level because everybody has to do a little bit of everything but then as you grow you can't have that type of chaos as you grow you then need you scale to you need to be you need experts who can scale effectively yeah yeah exactly exactly so so you know that you, you can kind of give two polar opposite agile versus you know the the, the taylorism type of thing both answers are correct it depends on the, scale of the company and the context yeah and then within the company even within a large company you may have a team who's in an area where they need to be as agile as, as Atom because they it's, it's chaos in that area, not in the company as a whole, but whatever they do, perhaps they are um, you know a, a specialist um, project 
team that their clients are, you know, in a state of flux. So they have to be able to be very agile to react to whatever say. And then you'll have others, you know, who are on the production line of something else that now needs to be standardized completely because you need to get the same answer regardless of who the client is. It has to come out the same every time. You know, the challenge is knowing what where you fit on that. It's not it's not two points, it's a line between them and you're somewhere on that, edging towards one or the other. And you need to kind of, you know, a good leader, a good manager will be able to pinpoint r- roughly what area on that line they are i've just contradicted said they were saying pinpoint and then saying what area <laughs> but you know what i mean that you're, you're in a region on that on that line from one extreme to the other and getting that right will make a big part of how you manage the team and who should be on the team whether it should be a bunch of generalists whether it should be a bunch of specialists whether it should be a mix of specialists or a mix of generalists and specialists you know it depends on, on circumstance as well as goals yeah totally and it's again i think that reminds me when i mentioned tailorism i remember working for an automotive company and we're in a re- uh, well at the time it was relatively recently acquired we were renovating the company we were transforming it upgrading it whatever you want to call it and we implemented a best-in-class manufacturing system actually based on the production systems of a very famous japanese company but we created our own flavor of it and that was based around lean manufacturing and again a lot of that was based on setting standards having a mindset of continuous improvement, pursuing perfection, and then eliminating waste. And a lot of that was around creating flow states, identifying what was the standard, making sure the team understood the standard and could adhere to it, and also continuously evaluating were those standards sufficient to meet the requirements of the business. So that was a very efficient process. But thinking about kind of comparing that with Agile, and you needed to have that Stability on the underlying process because you imagine manufacturing a vehicle is a very, very complex task. You have so many thousands of components, tens or even hundreds of thousands of parts, all of them interconnected. So if you miss one or you get one wrong, the risk was you were losing potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars per day in production stoppages or quality recall issues. So there was a huge tail to it around health and safety as well as the financial consequences and ultimately brand reputation. If you don't have a brand, you don't have a business. But then I I think I'm thinking rather large scale, but it's the same principle. It's about what is your success? How do you define it? And how do you meet those criteria in order to be successful? And looking at the resources of your team, the people in your team, I don't want to call them resources because it makes them, it almost objectifies people as I'll move it there or I'll move it there, I'll reassign it there. And they're like chess pieces right <laughs> but it's about how do you how do you combine the team how do you place them and how do you align their skill sets and their traits in the best positions so that collectively you can perform at a higher level and in business it's all about competing identifying who your competitors are what's the game what's the definition of success and what's your strategy what's your playbook in order to achieve that success you're looking for and for your procedures and policies and not getting the right blend of between flexible and inflexible you know there's certain things that need to be done a specific way especially if you're dealing with you know pharmaceuticals or and to do a help you know like uh, manufacturing of a vehicle you know there's no flexibility there this has to do this way other things there's a fair bit of flexibility but you don't want complete open flexibility you kind of want chaos chaos. yeah Yeah. so you kind of want um, your procedures 
procedures to be a guide that yes there's flexibility within the guides but it'll get you in the right direction but you, you don't have if if it's possible as i said with, with things like pharmaceuticals for food, even food manufacturing and that there'll be certain things there's no flexibility there regulations you know, regulations exactly um, health and safety yeah. hygiene things like that you you cannot compromise there's certain things that are non-negotiable there's certain things that don't change as well yeah but for everything else you know to, to build in a little bit of flexibility so that your procedure is a guide to give your superstars a chance when there are or to give your team your your good team members when they raise everybody you know everybody's game gets raised up that they have that little bit of flexibility to just add a little you know uniqueness to it because that could end up being your advantage your your, your um, critical advantage well this have. is where they talk about diversity of teams mm. doesn't necessarily mean diversity of ethnicity but certainly diversity in ways of thinking diversity in demographics diversity in attitudes diversity of skill sets mm. so you have different perspectives that hopefully create some new ways of achieving things mm. and that's what we talk about in terms of process innovation exactly yeah i think diversity of, of mindset and background is very very important because if everybody is this comes comes from the same background with the same education thinks the same way there'll be no innovation they'll just all and chances are even if it's really really good at the beginning everybody else will catch up with them and overtake them and they because they all think the same way in the same manners and, and that. so you, you know have that diversity I'm, I'm not talking about anything to, it, by natural thing chances are that will just cover all other types of diversity that's required you know yeah. if, if you're people from different backgrounds with different ways of thinking with different educations with different experiences all come together we're a good manager to get them all working together not trying to show over each other but trying to okay this is my experience this is your experience let's see now between the two of us can we come up with an even better way of doing things my way might not be the best your way might not be the best but between us we probably come up with a way that's better than either of them that and that's the the key to a, a really successful team i think is, is working together like that and in defense of agile as well daily stand-ups i've found have been great in terms of allowing everyone to voice their voice their opinions and views and also simple but powerful what have you done what are you planning to do and what's blocking you very simple very very communicative and and also it, it fosters collaboration because then if there is a blocker, someone else from the team might say, I have something that I think could be a solution. Let's talk offline. And then another kind of methodology that's used that, that you know, I have to do it one-to-ones between the manager and the people who report in. But the key thing there is that they should be fairly regular, you know, maybe once a month uh, thereabouts. But the key thing with them is that, that those one-to-ones, they're not, you're not assessing, you're not, you know, it's not a performance review. It's a mentoring meeting. The manager is going to be mentoring the, and both people are responsible for it. And, you know, questions for, for them type of thing would be, you know, what's working? What's not working? What can we do to improve? What suggestions do you have? You know, in, in our methodology, that's their default kind of standards of it. And, you know, there, there you're working with things like, like you were suggesting earlier, you know, you need to help your manager to promote you uh, across the business. And that that's where that would come out with the one-to-one, you know, mm-hmm. is there training that you need that we can try and get you involved in you know what what can we do to help you know that it's those types of questions the one-to-one meeting is a very good one monthly 
it's a it's a recommended thing on on the rewilding methodology that I use in my consultancy, and it is so very important. I've used them long before, you know, in, in previous companies that, that I was in myself. But the key thing is, it's not a performance review. Often people will think one to one. That's the performance review. No, monthly one to one is mentoring. You, you know, the manager should be the mentor of the employee for that for that for that meeting. And and afterwards, you know, there's follow ups that every both people both people are responsible for it. Both people have to say what they think are, is going well, what they think is is not. You know, what's working, what's not working from both points of view, and have suggestions from both sides and come to it because you could find out many things there that um you know that that is a very different ideas of what's working and what's not working so much to, to the extent that you may find that what one person said is working the other person has on their list for it, it's not working is you know, make sure everybody's on the same page what's mentoring not performance obviously though if you're doing it well it will lead into the performance review being very good because there's no surprises if they're well if people were going off kilter well the mentoring will have brought them back on long before but that's a, a you know apart from the the areas that, that you suggested there for making a team work that's a good one as well like if you've got a team have one-to-ones at least once a month with each of your your direct reports i remember mentor not as a performance review yeah that becomes harder with the daily stand-up to be fair but at least weekly or even every two weeks you you should have a connect um offline with your team members I think you're right. It it does help give them perspective on where they are, how they how they compare against their peers. And I remember even in the performance reviews, there were people who certain managers were promoting, and by promoting, I mean endorsing for opportunities to develop and even promotion. But at the same time, there were also some which who were being promoted and then when they switch roles to a development opportunity they failed so there's i think there's also a certain degree of bias in there so you should be checking yourself against your perspective against the other person's perspective and then not jumping to snap decisions despite how much experience you may have and if you think you've seen it all and you can assess someone it's funny different situations have different nuances that need to be validated especially if you're going to do something that could act in the detriment of someone's career, whether it's rotate them out to a lower graded role or even possible demotion or sacking like people who are on effectively performance improvement plans. It's, it's, it's one of the hardest things to do for a, to go through for a person. And even as a manager, I had to assess someone who was on a PEP to make sure they were performing. For me, I found it very uh, stressful. It was a team that I actually took over. So the person who was on this PEP, I was taking it over on behalf of a colleague, my predecessor. <laughs> Midway through, I just had to finish it off. And whether I did the coup de grace, actually, I didn't. I kept them on. But I made sure that they were supported through the process so they could at least be shown to be performing. And it was six months of having to thoroughly document everything they did, how they behaved, what was the feedback from internal customers in order to ensure that they they were not sacked. And that was quite a, a tough process to go through, like I say, emotional for him and also a lot of time consumed for me where I would rather be doing something else to move the car. The department forward but that's that's one of the reasons why it's kind of important to have one-to-ones that are not performance reviews that are mentoring yeah. because it, that takes that type of pressure off it's a much more pleasant meeting 
Yeah. Um, even even when the criticism because something's not working and if that something is is you, you're not providing me with enough support or whatever. But it's not said in a. It's not a. Oh, it's not confrontational. It's not confrontational. It's it's and the tone is so. Shall we say it's so tense because you know everything you're doing is because you're complying with employment laws. Mm. You're ticking HR boxes that effectively minimize the risk of getting sued after the event, yeah, where, especially where, when you've got unionized workforce. Yeah, but that, that's the idea of the one-to-ones, though. It's not a HR ticking, box ticking exercise. It's a team essential exercise. It's getting the mentoring in, getting everybody on the same page in a more, much more relaxed atmosphere because you're not walking out of that having been given out to you're walking out having agreed these are the targets for the next month and that target is as often to the benefit of of the person the the the, the employee you know um you know it's it's they've been they've said okay i need training in a certain area okay for the next meeting have a list of potential training courses that you can do you know and, and that that's their target for the next and then the manager would have to take her on to, to go and, you know, make sure there's funding there for them to do the course and time given. But that's all part of it. You know, it's not necessarily that they're going to do a full-time course. They could be doing a, you know, a, a, a one evening a week course for the next six months. So they, but that's up to them. They're working together. They're not being told to do it by the manager that it's an agreement. And it's a more relaxing atmosphere. If, if all you're doing are performance review meetings on an individual basis, that's where you're going to get the stress that you were mentioning earlier because there's a lot of pressure on that. It has to be box ticked. It has to be going out to HR that this was this is what came out of it, all the rest of it. But the the idea of the monthly one-to-ones are it's a mentoring. Um, it, it's, it's a semi-formal. Um, it's not completely in, informal. There's obviously, you know, it's a professional thing, but it's not formal. It's not going, there's no notes getting sent up to HR. This is what came out of this meeting. No, this is between the manager and the employee we're agreeing what's best for the team our specific thing in it and um you know my, i'm mentoring the employee i'm mentoring you um, or you're mentoring me whichever is whoever's the manager and whoever's the employee but the employee is is walking with the manager to say these are where i'm finding challenges these are the ideas i have that might make it easier for me whether that's look i'm no good at this type of role is there any chance i can get into this type of role or whether it's look i'm enjoying this but i'm a little out of my league i could do it a course my excel is not up to scratch I'd, I'd like to do an advanced excel course wherever and the manager agrees with them yeah okay come back to me with some suggestions as to what courses you can that's your goal for next month and, and there's a little target both sides you know have the manager has to maybe make sure there's funding in place for next month when, he, when you come back with the courses <laughs> and various things like that but it's informal it's not something that you're going to be pushed on directly with your performance review at the end of the year or whatever your bonus does not rely on having good one-to-one meetings the one-to-one meetings are just extra help yeah not not something to be fearing and then that's kind of draws the distinction between capability and attitude so you've got you've got on one hand someone who's out of their depth who's trying their best but isn't performing for that reason then you've got uh people i remember this guy in one of my 
when I was doing accounting exams and there was this guy, he was in the classroom openly talking about, well, I'm just looking to find as many courses as I can do so I don't have to be at work. So there are people who like to skive off work and therefore, you know, those are the people who really deserve a bit of a kick up the backside if they're managing to dodge actually doing any anything productive for the company because at the end of the day, they're drawing a salary and if they're getting paid for educating themselves and picking up certificates all power to them but from a business perspective as a manager who's probably spent more than his fair share of working 12 or even 18 hour shifts i think that's a bit of a slap in the face if you're trying to achieve something not just for yourself but for the business as a whole and trying to be a team player i think that's another thing with superstars who have probably a lot of should we say pick up a lot of qualifications some of them probably did it in their own spare time and had had great structures in place and personal plans and were able to manage their time well some of them might have just shirked their responsibility in order to pick up some certifications as well and i like to think that i haven't seen too many examples of those sort of people in my time but you do get a few and you need to recognize who's got the right attitude versus who's just lacking the right skills set but that's a lot easier to do. And if you're having, you know, regular informal meetings, yeah. decide who should do what rather than doing it once or twice a year in a performance review, because, you know, at that stage yeah. then, come out with, oh, let me do this course. And you're kind of, yeah, okay, we'll do the course then. And, you know, that that's it. Whereas if it's, if it's a regular thing, you're not always coming up with courses to do. And but when it does come in, you're kind of saying, okay, but where does that help you in what's not working? Yeah. You know, that, that that's the idea of it. It's, it's what's working, what's not working. How can we how can we improve? So the course should only be for how we can improve. What are we trying to improve here, and what are we doing? And it might not always be. That was just the example I gave. The, the, it might not always be a course. It could just be more support. You know, I don't really know what I'm doing in this area. Okay, well, give me time to grow in the role. Yeah, well. or, or the manager turns and says, well, actually, your colleague so and so is. Really 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 strong in this area so what we'll do is we'll get you shadowing them for a certain amount of time and then by this time next month we'll see how it's going you know there's many different ways but that's it's not it's an informal thing so um, and then combine that with your uh, what you were mentioning earlier about the stand-ups because even in in, in non-agile environments the stand-ups work really well I mean I've seen the stand-ups being used by uh, an accountant team an accountant team generally uh, and it was an accountant team for a big multinational so they're not agile they have to follow you know pretty strict things in that area where they were they, you know what they were doing but they still had a, a, a morning stand-up just so everybody could kind of update with what they're doing and if they were getting stuck on that but it, that kept the team together especially in that environment where they were because in that environment it was in a company and they had a, a hot desk open plan seating policy which meant that the team was very rarely actually all sitting together so the stand-up was their way around that that even if the team were spread out across the open plan office and couldn't converse with each other easily throughout the day as a team they would at least have that 15 minutes every morning and what frequently was happening where it was somebody would call out they're having a little bit of difficulty there and somebody else would say oh i can give you a hand at that wouldn't be as strong a benefit if the team were in their own little environment and room because they'd just be talking during the day 
day. But when yeah. you're talking, many companies now seem to be having this idea of hot desks and, and open plan. I, I've never understood it, stood it because it's every piece of research ever been done shows it's the most unproductive method of, of office space. Uh, yeah, they could be they could be located in completely separate ends of a large building, right? Mm. Rows and rows away, well out of earshot. And that's one of the challenges with remote working. I think remote working has been brilliant. I'm 100% working from home with the occasional visit into the office, but, and it has so many advantages. I can work more hours. I can be more productive. But on the flip side, I think it's a challenge for people who are less experienced in a team because they're not, they're going to miss the advantages of learning through osmosis and having your ear to the ground. Not to say it can't happen, but you have to put more effort into it. Make the time to reach out to other people, ask for help, admit when you you're struggling with a problem and communicate more because that's the big advantage of having a daily stand-up is the continuous communication because you're not waiting till a weekly or a monthly connect in order to give all your news. So you're not mulling over it. It's very fast. It's supposed to be, you don't have to come to me with a bad news plus a solution. Give me where we are and we can figure it out together as a team. And, and that's, as you mentioned there, the, the, the work from home and the hybrids and, and, and all that. That's where a stand-up could really come in, even as a Zoom, you know, uh, I, I do them at the moment. I'm, I'm just working on a project and, and as a project management thing. Now, I don't do a daily stand-up with our team, but three times a week. I was going to say snap. If you did a daily stand-up, you'd be doing the same as me, mate. <laughs> We, there's, there's no need at the moment because we, we actually do meet daily but we're, we're yeah. kind of having a, a we, we meet with other you know, clients effectively internal customers um, that the project is serving um, so but we're on those calls together so but we have three calls a week where it's just us just the team yeah. you know it, it's it's scheduled for half an hour just purely because it's a team's meeting and that's the default setting for team <laughs> but it takes about 15 minutes because it is a stand-up that's all we're doing is we're just having a quick call you know what we don't but you have slack you can you can uh disperse and everyone has 15 minutes blocked in their calendar of uninterrupted time exactly and um and and it works and we would not be um as efficient without it because you know i hate to point this out to you but you're not 100% working from home if you're occasionally going into the office you're probably 99% working from home but i'm 100% i have never i've never actually seen i have seen the office i've seen it many years ago before i got you know before i was was working for the clients i seen the office um uh, since I've been working for the client, I've never seen their office. I've never seen, and, and to be honest, I don't need to because the people I'm working with aren't based there. They're based in the US, in India, in another in Irish office that's on the other side of the country. And then there are the, the subject matter experts, my specific team that I have the thing with. They're in a different office. Some of them are in Poland, some of them are in Argentina. So there'd be no point in, in going into the office because I'd still be on a Zoom call just yeah. trying to find a room to have it. And so, but the, that that would be, we'd be stuck if we weren't having a regular stand-up as a actually that's funny you should mention that the times i was in the office i had to find a meeting room in order to to have those meetings with distributed teams as you say across the u.s across other countries in europe and in india so it it does have its own challenges working in an office because at least in home i've got my spare bedroom I can, which I've converted into my own office. So it's nice. It's, I don't need to, I don't need to do too much. Whereas I'm hunting around for a room. I need to book it in advance if it's busy. And there's, 
those sort of administrative hassles that I have to deal with. Well, I think, um, but you hit on a great thing there with that example, because so many people now, even even if the bulk of them are in the office, there'll be somebody who's not. Yeah. But having, having that um, stand up is essential um, in that situation. If, if everybody on your team is in the office and in the same room, small room, you know, where they can speak to each other during the day, stand up is not necessary because they can just call out during the day. Oh, I'm stuck yeah. on this. Anyone. But if you've got anybody who's not there or if they're in an open plan office where they're dispersed or you've got people who are off-site whether all of them are off-site hybrid or not you need that stand-up meeting um, even if you're not running an agile system that that's a, that, that stand-up is um it's much more than agile that that's now i think an essential yeah. thing and um, combine that from a team point of view stand up with the monthly one-to-ones that are for mentoring not for performance review and you have the the basis there to really put together a strong strong yeah, exactly team. if you can take anything out of scrum i'll go for the daily stand-ups just to be more effective as a team just have that regular communication touch point Mm -hmm. collaborate share your information share what's concerning you and share what you've done and what you're planning to do Exactly. And, and as a manager, a lot of your time is spent more talking about Scrum. You're, you're almost a Scrum master. Oh, um, I am a Scrum master. You're, you're doing, I have a project that I was a Scrum master on. and that's But, but just, even yeah. even as a, just any kind of a team, even if it's not a project team, if it's a business as yeah. usual, as the manager, a lot of the time you are a facilitator. Yeah. Um, yes, you're having to manage, you're guiding the team. You're saying, these are the goals. This is the area, the direction we're going. And you're having to manage the team, You know, manage holidays, manage all the rest of it. But you're, you're a bulk of a large chunk of your time i'm certainly finding although i'm project manager so it's it's not quite business as usual but a lot of your time is you're facilitating somebody's getting stuck on something you're facilitating how do you fix them you may have to reach outside the team or it might be someone else on the team but you're facilitating people you're not just the pure strict manage 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 sometimes manage doesn't do this you facilitate authority doesn't help it can be counterproductive if you're a pro i'm a project manager as well john i switch to scrum mastering if the project has certain phases which require a degree of flexibility and exploration shall we say but generally speaking my background i love i love an old school Gantt chart. I love my work breakdown structure. I love being able to analyze things because that's kind of my bias. But at the same time, I can do the people piece as well. I can I can manage emotions. I can diffuse situations. I can also get people to open up and get to the root of a problem without making them feel threatened or on guard. And concluding on optimizing productivity. You know, we have we have talked about the people side of things. We've talked about attitudes. We've talked about toxic cultures and how detrimental they are. We've talked about project managing teams. We've talked about leading teams. We've talked about a, a couple of techniques for yeah. you know, giving you the best opportunity to lead a team, mainly to do with communications and the, the stand-ups and the ones We've on. talked about continuous learning to grow your team members, yeah. experience, giving them the right opportunities. We've talked, we haven't talked about tools but are tools important i mean you can use jira you can use zoom or teams collaboration tools are tools i mean the one-to-ones are kind of a tool the the stand-ups are a tool the using teams as a tool or zoom or uh, you know some some teams and corporate zoom uh, licenses mean that your meetings get automatically transcribed so you can go back to them and pick out the key points if action items were called out i think that's a useful feature so it saves on the administration yeah 
Uh, and, you know, again, I suppose a lot will be that technically depends on the specifics of your team, what it is that you're 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 trying to achieve. But, you know, the, the tools are, are pretty standard and we've covered a lot of them. There's, you know, yeah. as you're talking about some specialist area that you do, like I know solicitors have a specific accountants will have a specific, uh, you know, we, we know a bit more about accountants. So we'll have tools, accountants stuff and, and all the uh, team will be working on that you know and that will you know oftentimes in the ERP system or that you know somebody will put something in and it will be moved up to the next person for approval or review or whatever so all those types of tools all work as well on the team the tools are kind of probably the easiest thing the tools will be industry specific and, and it'll be work specific to what, what you're doing and chances are you will know what tools you need to use yeah. uh, when you're doing it and what I've found as well is the tools are very much the same they're much of a muchness once you know the principles behind them and and most of them have like very detailed help sections so if you want to know what you did in for example microsoft projects in smart sheets then it's pretty much same old same old mm, yeah yeah that's it it's just the buttons might be somewhere slightly different but you'll, yeah. you'll figure it out pretty quickly unless yeah. it have configured it and taken a whole <laughs> chunk of functionality out for whatever reason because they want to standardize things <laughs> that can be a problem all right yeah um, yeah and just you know as i said you know you do the continuous improvement as we mentioned mm. you're aspiring to perfection but by the same token do not let perfect get in the way of good yeah you don't need as we said kind of at the very beginning don't necessarily try and load your team with a whole load of superstars load your team of competent good people and then as a manager that's you're trying to to get the, the total to exceed the sum of the parts and that's 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 where you have a truly efficient a truly productive and a great team great teams rarely have great great individuals they have really good individuals who work well together and create a great team yeah you don't need a you don't need to have a Paris Saint-Germain football team what you need is more of a team of collective individuals maybe one or two exceptional players but not everyone needs to be a superstar and having one or two kind of raises the bar that everybody else you know raises up to that little bit so that works well but yeah as you said if you, if you have too many then there's you, you run the bigger risk of egos ultimately it, that it boils down to egos getting in each other's way yeah and, and then you have an inefficient team yeah okay well thanks john with that said i think we've milked that topic as far as we can uh, without going into too many of our personal stories but it was fun and as always thank you very much for your insights john thank you Dante. This podcast shares experiences and insights gained from business, IT, and digital finance. Hosted by two leaders who have made the leap themselves, this show is dedicated to helping listeners think differently about their career aspirations.